This is VOA News. I'm Marissa Melton. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said global pressure on Russia had to be increased significantly during his nightly video address on Thursday. Zelensky also said the talks on Ukraine joining the European Union should begin this year. But the EU has made addressing corruption a requirement for Ukraine joining the 27-member bloc, and that process usually takes multiple years. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen visited Kyiv on Thursday with a delegation of more than a dozen officials that promised military, financial and political aid before the first anniversary of the February 24th invasion. We have agreement on how we will continue to work forward, both from a legislative standpoint as well as executive and community-based solutions. But the focus will always be on public safety. That's Stephen Horsford, the chair of the U.S. Congressional Black Caucus, after a meeting Thursday with President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. The meeting centered on police reform and public safety. It came one day after the funeral of Tyree Nichols, a black man who died in January, three days after being beaten by police in Memphis, Tennessee. Biden said during the meeting that he talked with Nichols' family by phone and expressed hope that what he called the dark memory of that case would spur action. U.S. House Republicans have voted to oust Democratic Representative Ilhan Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. The vote in a raucous session on Thursday to remove the Somali-born Muslim lawmaker came after her past comments critical of Israel. The Minnesota Democrat has apologized for comments that she said she came to understand were anti-Semitic. From Washington, you're listening to VOA News. The United States on Thursday called on the Sudanese government to use all available legal means to reverse a decision this week to release a Sudanese man facing the death penalty in connection with the killing of a U.S. diplomat in 2008. State Department spokesperson Ned Price told reporters the U.S. government called on the Sudanese government to exercise all available legal means to reverse the decision. The Sudanese claim that the Granville family had extended forgiveness is false. We call on the Sudanese government to exercise all available legal means to reverse this decision and to re-arrest Abu Zaid. Abdel Rauf Abu Zaid was found guilty, along with others, in the killing of American John Granville and a Sudanese colleague, both of whom worked for the U.S. Agency for International Development and were killed by gunmen in Khartoum. President Biden was joined by a former president Thursday, marking the 30th anniversary of the landmark Family and Medical Leave Act. APZ Donahue has more. It was the first bill President Bill Clinton signed when he took office in 1993. After all these years, I still have more people mention the Family Leave Act to me than any other specific things I did. 30 years later, President Biden is pushing to expand what Bill Clinton signed into law. No American should ever have to choose between a paycheck and take care of a family member or taking care of themselves. Paid family leave didn't make it into the slimmed-down climate and health care bill that the president signed in August. Ed Donahue, Washington. Fighter jets were ready to go after a Chinese spy balloon was spotted over the western United States. AP's Lisa Dwyer has more. Fighter jets, including F-22s, were ready to shoot down the balloon if ordered by the White House. 
The defense officials said that what concerned them about this launch was the altitude at which the balloon was flying and the length of time it lingered over a location. No specifics were given on which location and no word on how large the balloon is, but it's large enough for commercial pilots to see it. That's AP's Lisa Dwyer reporting. The United Nations says its humanitarians will not leave Afghanistan and will continue delivering life-saving aid, despite Taliban restrictions on Afghan women's work for non-governmental organizations. The announcement comes as some international aid agencies have suspended their operations in Afghanistan to protest the 2022 order by the de facto Taliban government banning local women from working for NGOs. The Taliban say the restrictions on women work and education are temporary until they figure out how this can be done within religious confines. Iran on Thursday blamed Israel for a drone attack that took place Saturday in the central Iranian city of Isfahan. A letter posted on the website of Iran's mission to the U.N. said preliminary indications were that Israel was responsible for what it called an attempted act of aggression. Marissa Melton, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butter in Washington. Today is Friday, February 3rd, and here are some of the stories we are covering. South Sudan deploys thousands of security forces as Pope Francis visits today, Friday. The South Sudan National Police Service spokesperson told the reporters 5,000 joint forces comprised of police officers, army, and national security personnel have been deployed across the capital. Nigeria's Electoral Commission faces growing insecurity ahead of February polls. Zimbabwe's parliament enacts a new law that paralyzes NGO freedoms. The Liberian government denies claims by Senator Prince Johnson that it plans to arrest or assassinate him. So we were in a meeting when I received a call from inside the mansion from a top security officer that this is a plan to arrest me or to assassinate me because I'm talking too much. And Malawi's anti-graft chief is suspended over a leaked audio clip. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's posts are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The South Sudan government has deployed thousands of joint security forces across the capital, Juba, ahead of the visit by Pope Francis, the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and the moderator of the Church of Scotland, Ian Gritschields, today Friday. Officials say the forces will ensure law and order is maintained during the visit. Waki Simon Wudu reports for VOA from Juba. South Sudan Army spokesperson Major General Lulroy Kwong and Major General Daniel Justin, the South Sudan National Police Service spokesperson told the reporters on Thursday 5,000 joint forces comprised of police officers, army and national security personnel have been deployed across the capital to ensure there is maximum security and a public order during the three-day visit of the religious leaders. They will be deployed right away from uh, the airport, the major runabouts that you know of within the town, the places of worship, they'll be given extra security. And we made it very crystal clear to our security forces to cooperate with everyone to ensure that uh, this operation at the end of the day becomes a very successful one. Kwong says officers have been instructed to maintain maximum discipline while on duty. 
On the same line, we also would like to appeal to members of the public that you also cooperate with security force. If they are trying to search for your vehicle, allow them to do the search. But you have the right to resist a report any illegal act that is being carried out. Police spokesperson Major General Daniel Justin says a number of roads within Juba may be restricted during the three-day visit. South Sudanese policy analyst Boboya James welcomes the beefed-up security arrangements. What we wanted to really urge the security forces, especially the police and the army that are supposed to maintain law and order throughout this, this period, is to really have a high level of restraint. They should really be able to protect the civilians and they shouldn't harass them. Jamie says leadership of the security forces need to work up to their tasks and ensure that their officers maintain their required discipline in the course of their duties. Pope Francis has been in Diara Congo since Wednesday. For viewers, I'm Simon Wudu in Juba. Nigeria's Independent National Electoral Commission says an attack on Wednesday on its offices in southeast Anambra State destroyed hundreds of ballot boxes and other election materials. Authorities say armed men also attacked a police station in the area and killed a teenager. It is the latest attempt to disrupt Nigeria's preparation for February 25 elections, as Timothy Obiesu reports from Abuja. The Independent National Electoral Commission, or INEC, said Thursday it is making plans to replace some 700 ballot boxes, 243 voting cubicles, and 256 election bags destroyed by attackers who invaded the commission's facility in Idemili South District of Nigeria's southeast Anambra state. The election commission said the damage was serious, but the permanent voter cards kept in a fireproof cabinet were spared. The INEX information and education officer Festus Okoye spoke with VOA by phone. The office was completely destroyed. All the ballot boxes and the uh, voting cubicles and uh, generators that we lost. We are going to replace them quickly and get the office to move to a new location and then uh, we will proceed with our preparations. We can't allow some of these things to distract us or disrupt the process. State police authorities say they are monitoring the situation and have deployed officers to the area. On Wednesday, armed attackers broke into the INEC facility in Anambra State and detonated improvised explosive devices and petrol bombs. Officials say attackers also fired guns sporadically near a local police station, killing a 16-year-old boy and injuring another teenage girl before security agents intervened. INEC has reported more than 50 attacks and arsons on its facilities across 15 states since the last polls in 2019. This is the first attack in February as Nigeria begins a countdown to the February 25th polls. Hamzat Lawal, the chief executive of Connected Development, says violence could threaten voter confidence during polls. And as we go into the election, the most important ingredient is peace. Because if the election is peaceful, then people can feel confident enough to go out of their safety zone, which is their home, to cast their ballot. And with peace, we would ensure that we have less voter apathy and people will not be disenfranchised. In January, the INEC said it was working with military, police and civil defense authorities to provide adequate security for staff and election materials during the polls. But Lawal says they must first convince citizens of their safety. 
I also want to talk to government, and particularly political actor. You do not play politics with security. And I believe that our security agencies will live up to expectation and build public trust and confidence, knowing that INEC is currently enjoying public trust and public confidence and leveraging on that to get young people to come out and cut their pallets. Only about 40% of registered voters make it to the polls due to voter apathy, according to the Electoral Commission. There are more than 93 million registered voters on INEC's records, an increase from 84 million eligible voters recorded in the previous elections. Experts predict voter turnouts could surge this year if election-related violence is addressed. Timothy Obezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. It appears the political rhetoric in Liberia is heating up as the country prepares for presidential and parliamentary elections later this year. This week, President George Weir announced his bid for re-election in the October poll. Many of the opposition, including Senator Prince Johnson, say Weir does not deserve another term because they say the country under six years of his rule is poorer than during its Civil War years. Johnson called VOA on Thursday to say he had intelligence that the government is planning to arrest or assassinate him. Meanwhile, the U.S. ambassador to Liberia remarked that those who wish to destabilize Liberia with threats of violence and intimidation should understand that a better Liberia lies at the end of this course, respectful debate, and free, fair, and transparent elections. Senator Johnson tells me he is being threatened because there are those in the government who think he is talking too much. There are problems right now emanating from the government side. They say I'm talking too much about the incident that occurred on Broad Street, where they say two persons are in a car from Cabo Monosa. My view of it from a historical point of view, they feel I'm exposing them. The fellow who they say shot himself, the EPS in Mimba, what I saw there is different from what the true story is. And then I asked the legislature to join me because the annual message is being critiqued by other political parties. And I did the same, but the Liberian people, those in the diaspora, that uh, every time Mr. Weir speaks, he will say he took over from an empty coffer. There was nothing left in the bank, a broken economy. And the truth is that Ellen declared monetarium on all government expenditures during her tenure, trying to seek money for the new government to operate. In a turnover note from Ellen to George Weir, there were other things indicated there, among which was 150 million U.S. dollars cash in a reserve. So I said, if John Weir keeps saying nothing was in the Treasury, then let him publish the turnover note to prove his case. If he says I'm lying, why is he keeping the turnover note secret? He should make sure that he publishes it so Liberian people can know, say he wants a second mandate. Senator, let me ask you, were you there during the turnover from former President Solif to President George Weir, and how do you know there was a note? You know, there was a transition, and I'll tell you the truth. Madam Ellen herself, she was abroad when Mr. George Weir said that the coffer was completely empty, and she spoke on the international media that I left so much money, if you are tempered with the people's money, don't bring it to me. But I did see... The copy, and I'm saying to you and all Liberians and all in the diaspora, that Mr. George Weir feels that I am a liar. They published that 10 over note. That 10 over note was signed by Madame Sali and okay by him, taking over from Madame Sali, whatever he took over from, he signed it. Then he published the 10 over note. 
That is the clear evidence. So you are saying that uh, your life is being threatened? Yes, I was. We are having a meeting right now in our party headquarters. Some members of the MDR, our party, are being infiltrated by the CDC. And so, though they are top officials of the party, but some of them are holding position in government. So, in wanting to protect their job, they become spies for the CDC and putting lies around. So, we are in a meeting to decide what to do with them. As per our constitution, what does it say? So, we were in a meeting when I received a call from inside the mansion from a top security officer that this is a plan to arrest me or to assassinate me because I'm talking too much. But you are a sitting senator. Can they just arrest you? That's impossible for me, but they can assassinate you. So I have to even limit my going out to some places I need to go. I'm a sitting senator representing my county in a government. To arrest me, you will mean indictment. You have to tell me my crime. I'm entitled to a lawyer. But to say you want to assassinate me, uh, that's something that the world needs to know. So they can be watched for and, and keep keen eyes on this government. Because but, we don't trust them anymore. Senator Johnson, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless you. That was Senator Prince White Johnson of Liberia speaking with us from the capital, Monrovia. Liberia's Information Minister Ledger Hood Rene has described as political theatrics and comica allegations by Senator Prince Johnson that he has intelligence that the government is planning to arrest or assassinate him. Johnson, who said he would not support President Weah's re-election this year, told VOA on Thursday that he is being threatened because there are those in the government who think he is talking too much. Information Minister Rennie tells me that Senator Johnson has done nothing wrong against the government and that there are no plans to arrest him. James, the political theatrics of a ranking senator of our government is becoming more comical than anything else. There are no such plans by the government because Senator Johnson has not done anything against the laws of our country, as far as we know. No warrant of arrest, no investigation of him. So why would the government want to arrest him? Well, here is it. He says that uh, because he announced that he no longer supports President Weah's re-election, that uh, the ruling CDC has uh, asked his party not to run a candidate from his home neighbor county in the coming elections. So because of this, that um, there's a plan to go after him. Sure, absurdity, so to speak, James. The fact of the matter is, Senator Johnson entered into a political arrangement through the party's mechanism. If he has an issue with the coalition, they have their own internal mechanisms through which they can determine what the issues are and resolve them. But to be coming out to the public and international media to tell them that the governor of Liberia has plans to arrest him, it's just crazy, so to speak, and it's comical and laughable because there's no reason for anybody to do so. Legi, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, James. Ledger Hureni is Liberia's Information Minister. He was speaking with us from the capital, Monrovia. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voices of America. I am James Botti in Washington. Today is Friday, the third day of February. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And still to come on our program, Samsung O'Malley Sports.
Zimbabwe's lawmakers on Wednesday passed a law regulating non-governmental organizations which they say aims to curb terrorist financing and money laundering. But critics say the bill suppresses political activity and amounts to a crackdown on opposition supporters ahead of this year's elections. If signed into law, it could also put international development funding at risk, as Columbus Manvunga reports from Hurare. The Zimbabwe government says the community of Mount Hamden, a 30-minute drive from Harare, will be the site of Zim Cyber City, which will replace Harare as the capital and relieve some of its congestion. Some of the construction is expected to be completed by year's end. Monica Mchangwa is Zimbabwe's information minister. Obviously, we are building the cyber city because there's a market for it. There are Zimbabweans who can actually afford it. And we want our Zimbabweans, even those in diaspora, this is time to come back home. They can't continue to see the high-rise buildings in, in, in abroad and not in Zimbabwe. Some Zimbabweans in this farming area can't wait for the project to begin. 24-year-old Brighton Mutambara hopes to benefit once the project takes off. He says when construction starts, we will be employed for some jobs. Others have already started building nearby, hoping to cash in by providing accommodation for the $60 billion project that UAE-based firm Mauk International is helping develop. But some Zimbabweans want President Emerson Munangagwa to first address the country's economic problems and dilapidated power and water infrastructure. And that's not all that needs fixing, says Nehoa, who is opposed to the project. It's not very wise to start by investing in a city when roads have not been developed yet because we find it because of the current conditions of the roads, portals and all that. It's causing accidents, damages to cars, etc. Stephen Chan, a world professor at the School of Oriental and African Studies in the University of London, is also against Zim Cyber City in Mount Hamden. This is for the Zimbabwean elite in Mount Hampton so that the poor people won't get in their way. They can live by themselves and imagine that they're in a separate world. I think this speaks to a big division in society, which is simply not healthy for the future of Zimbabwe. That advice might be falling on deaf ears as President Emerson Mnangagwa's government seemed determined to build, saying it will help the economy and ease congestion in Harare. Plus, thanks to Chinese investment, a six-story, $140 million parliament building has already been built on the cyber city side as a gift to Zimbabwe. Columbus Mavungam for VOA News, Mount Hamden, Zimbabwe. Malawi has suspended the head of its anti-corruption bureau over a leaked audio clip where she suggested high-ranking officials were obstructing justice. Martha Chizuma was arrested in December for the same issue but released on the order of President Lastro Chakwera. Malawi media reports say Chizuma's suspension came just hours before the bureau planned to issue arrest warrants for top officials. 
as Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Secretary for the President and the Cabinet, Colin Zambam, said in a letter made public Wednesday that suspension of Chizuma started January 31st and will last until the conclusion of the case. In an audio with an unknown person that was later leaked to social media, Chizuma said that high-ranking officials, including lawyers, a judge, and government authorities, were hindering her fight against corruption. This prompted some of the accused people, including former director of public prosecution, Stephen Kayuni, to file criminal charges against her. The latest lawsuit last week was in relation to comments she made in the audio against a judge, Simeon Indeza, who at the time was handling a corruption case. The two charges include making remarks calculated to lower the authority of a judge before a judicial proceeding is heard and making comments capable of prejudicing a person against a party to judicial proceedings. Martha Kaukonde is the lawyer for Jizuma. She told VOA the suspension order is void and it will be challenged in court on Friday. The law is very clear that she can only be suspended by the president. And in this scenario, she has been suspended by the head of the civil service, SBC. During the State of the Nation address on January 24, President Lazarus Chakwela described Chizuma's action as unfortunate but said he would not dismiss her. Instead, he issued a stern warning that he will keep an eye on her conduct. Michael Kaia is the executive director for the Center for Human Rights and Rehabilitation. He says he is surprised with the government's sudden change of heart. If you analyze the whole issue, it's a matter of hypocrisy. The president has been hypocritic because what he says publicly and what he does behind the scenes is contradictory. Malawi media reports say Chizuma's suspension came just hours before anti-corruption bureau planned to issue arrest warrants for top officials. Atone Kaukonde suspects the move to punish Chizuma was planned long ago. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports and here is something Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, something. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sport with the news that the Confederation of African Football President Dr. Patrice Musepe has highlighted the importance of the CAF 2023 on the 17th African Cup of Nations, describing the age-grade competition as very critical in the growth and development of the game on the continent. The 15th edition of the CAF on the 17th African Cup of Nations will be held in Algeria from April 29th to March 19th this year in Algiers, Annaba and Constantine. CAF president stressed the need to encourage young players who will participate in the tournament, saying this year's competition will include the best countries on the continent and the whole world will be looking forward to watching the young stars. Staying with football news, Algeria will play Senegal in the final of the 2022 African Nations Football Championship on Saturday, the 4th of February. The biennial football tournament, which was originally scheduled to take place in 2022 in Algeria, but was moved to the 13th of February, will now end on the 4th of February. The championship features teams consisting of players who currently play in their local leagues in Africa. 
host Algeria will play in their first Chan final after easing past Niger 5-0 on Tuesday. The other semi-final between Senegal and Madagascar was a much tighter affair, but the fifth-minute goal from Papa Diallo was enough to see the Lions of Taranga progress to their first final in the competition's history. Nottingham Forest have signed Ghana forward Andre Ayew until the end of the season. The Ghanaian captain, a free agent, arrives from Qatari side Al Saad, where he played since 2021, scoring 15 goals in 21 league matches and winning the Qatar Stars League title last season. The 33-year-old returns to Britain, where he had spells at Swansea City and West Ham United, and will once again be coached by Steve Cooper, who he worked under at the Welsh club in 2019. Away from football news now to some cricket news. South Africa beat India by five wickets in the final to clinch the women's T20I Tri-Series title on Thursday. South Africa chased down the target 110 with 12 balls to spare. Chloe Tryon top scored with 57 not out of just 32 balls. Earlier opting to bat India posted a below par 109 for four with Helene Deal top scoring with a 56 ball 46. In basketball news, Club African have qualified for the semi-finals of the Dubai International Basketball Championship after beating Libya's El Nassar SC 74-64 in the quarterfinal match played on Thursday. And that does it for this morning's edition of Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, February 3rd edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I am James Barton in Washington, wishing that you will have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday morning.